When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. It's Drags. It's Wednesday, May 22nd. Time for episode 299 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com. And as always, follow us on Twitter at Patriots CLNS. Welcoming back this week, Evan Lazar, my colleague at CLNSmedia.com, covering the Patriots and the NFL for CLNS Media. Of course, follow him on Twitter at E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. That's E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. You over Game of Thrones? I am not over it yet. No, it's the the wound is still fresh. Uh, that season eight, I think, was disappointing for most of us, the diehard Game of Thrones fans. That's for sure. Yeah, I enjoyed your tweets on Sunday night. Uh, I want to get your biggest surprise, your biggest disappointment. I think the biggest disappointment is probably just how rushed the whole thing felt. Lack of really like attention to detail that the show was prided itself on was kind of lacking so that they could fit everything into a six episode season and end the series i think the biggest surprise is probably that neither danny nor Jon snow spoil alert end up on the iron throne at the end of the whole thing i mean i don't know if it was that much of a surprise but the way that it all went down certainly i think was a surprise to many you see what i'm doing here right with uh jamie collins coming back to new england (laughs) Good idea for the Patriots? Well, I, you know, I came out pretty hard against this move. And really the, the reason why, and I've kind of, you know, with the money being what it is, pretty manageable and really no guarantees whatsoever that he's going to see a lot of playing time or even make the 53-man roster out of camp. It, it, I've come around a little bit on it. But the main reason is, is that, you know, when he was here the first time, I thought that he was a very good starter for 2014 and 2015, but there was that attention to detail and the willingness to do the little things, to do the dirty work that a lot of the Patriots defensive players did at such a high level towards the end of the season last year that Jamie Collins never totally got. And then he went to Cleveland and it was kind of more of the same thing. Now they're going to bring him in on less money to what I would assume be playing a more specialized role on passing downs, you would think. Absolutely. Plays himself into more of a bigger role beyond that. And you're going to ask him to do a lot of the little things. And I just don't know if I'm convinced. Maybe he's woken up, right? Maybe the couple of years in Cleveland have, you know, kind of humbled him a little bit and he realizes now that he's going to have to do that to stay on an NFL roster. But 
it's the little things like, for example, is he going to set the edge against the run? Is he going to take on the pulling guard so that his teammate can make the tackle and he does the thing that doesn't show up in the box score, but to team defense that works out really well. Is he not going to go a lot of the time when you watch him play in zone coverage with Cleveland, his eyes are on the quarterback because he's constantly trying to jump routes and ball hawk and get those big interceptions and pass defense. Is he just going to play his assignment and get to his spot and have the wherewithal to be aware of what's going on around him? Those little things add up in the Patriots defense. And that's what makes the Patriots defense good when it's at its best. I think last year in the Super Bowl is kind of the microcosm of the whole thing, Trags, when all 11 pieces are fit together perfectly. It doesn't really necessarily matter if the individual pieces are these Hall of Fame players. The scheme itself will, you know, survive and, and thrive under that circumstance. If you put one player in there, you know, it's like a Jenga piece, right? If you put one player in there and you pull it out and that player isn't as strong as the rest of the foundation, then, you know, things start to slip through the cracks. Speaking with Evan Lazar covering the Patriots uh, and the NFL, doing an incredible job uh, of doing both for CLNSmedia.com. There's the one, and I, I mentioned you, um, I know you mentioned the pulling guard. Do you remember the Buffalo Bills game uh, his last season in New England, right? Yes. At Buffalo. Do you know what I'm getting to here? Where, I believe so. Yeah, where he rushed right past the uh uh, the pulling guard and was out on an island and, uh, the, uh, play was cut back to his side for a 35 yard run, something like that. And that was regarded, uh, you know, a Bills 35 yard run. That was kind of regarded as like the final straw by the Patriots coaching staff. Right. I mean, it's, that's exactly it. Like when you turn on the tape and you watch Jamie Collins play in Cleveland, his 2017 season was an abject disaster. I mean, he was horrible. The team was horrible. He had a terrible year. He graded out in 2017 as one of the worst starters in football, according to Pro Football Focus. It was something like 44 out of 100 or, or something catastrophic like that. Last year in 2018, it was better. He was certainly serviceable in that role, and he played over a 1,000 snaps for Cleveland. And I think that there was evidence on the tape of him doing a little bit more. He certainly, his box score stats, he had over 100 tackles. You know, those things all check out nicely. But at the end of the day, like I said, you know, it's it's the little things that he wasn't willing to do. He wasn't willing to make those sacrifices for the betterment of the team. He was, you know, too busy trying to get himself in the box score and make some of that money that he ended up making in Cleveland. So now he comes back. He's at a lesser value, obviously. They're not paying him anywhere near as much. They maybe like that a little bit more. And if you remember also at the end of his tenure here with the Patriots the first time around, he was starting to lose playing time in that 2016 season and Landon Roberts was really starting to take a lot of those early down reps that Jamie Collins was so, you know, often taking. And a lot of people at that point in time are like, what the hell is going on with Jamie Collins? Why are they playing this sixth round rookie over a pro bowler? And then he gets traded, a, you know, a week later or two weeks later, whatever the case may be. So I think that that's the biggest gripe that are the biggest concern I shouldn't call it a gripe the biggest concern that I have with the move is is he going to sacrifice and do the little things that the Patriots scheme is going to ask him to do and not do the freelancing and not play outside the scheme to betterment himself and his individual performance 
Let's go over the numbers. One hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollar signing bonus, base salary of nine hundred thousand, and incentives that bring his cap charge to about three million dollars for twenty nineteen. He makes the team, right? Well, right now I have him penciled in on the team. I mean, I would think that he would have to really have a poor camp to not make the team. But I was actually tinkering with a tinkering with a fifty-three man roster projection the other day, and you know, the just the numbers that they have at certain positions are going to make it pretty difficult for some of these guys to make the team unless they get kind of wonky with the numbers in certain positions like let's say they only carry four wide receivers out of camp because they're going to have Josh Gordon and hopefully Demarius Thomas maybe he Demarius Thomas starts the season on pup and that frees up a roster spot maybe you only carry two tight ends maybe you stash one of your offensive linemen on IR or a practice squad spot something like that because otherwise you have all those defensive backs you have a bunch of quarterbacks, obviously. You know, you're probably going to look, you're looking at, unless Jared Stidham can really blow things out of the water in training camp, you're probably looking at carrying three quarterbacks out of camp. It gets tricky, but I think that Jamie Collins, there's about four or five spots, I would say, up for grabs at the back end of the roster, depending on how they want to work it. And right now I have Jamie Collins securely in one of those five spots. It just depends on, you know, if he has a terrible camp and a terrible preseason, then you never know. Well, let me get to this because I think one of the reasons you can keep and use Jamie Collins much more effectively this year is you have a more versatile defensive roster, starting with the linebacking core. Hightower, Van Noy, Roberts, Jawan Bentley, and Christian Sam, both rookies, or coming into their second year, didn't play last year. Uh, And then you have Calvin Munson and Therese Hall, but... Don't you think the Patriots are in a better position now to keep them or keep Jamie Collins and use him in a more specialized role because of that? Certainly, and I think when you start talking about those linebackers, you can really kind of start to put them in roles already, and it's it's pretty obvious. I think that Van Noy and Hightower are guys, especially down the stretch run last year, that you already saw them in these roles of guys that are playing mostly on the line of scrimmage or at least near the line of scrimmage. You're not dropping either one of those guys too often 15, 12, 15 yards down the field in coverage if you can prevent it. Then you got Alandon Roberts and Jawan Bentley, who are more first and second down run-stuffing linebackers that are going to play off the ball, but they're really playing on early downs to stop the run. And then maybe that's where Jamie Collins fits in as that off-ball linebacker that's going to play in coverage on passing downs, obvious passing situations, third down, things like that. And we also know you know, on top of his athleticism, and he still has that range and ability to cover a lot of ground, although I think that some of the mental mistakes that he makes in coverage need to be coached out, he still has a lot of athleticism and range, and he also can still rush the passer. So as a blitzer up the A-gap or on like a, on a linebacker and stunt or something like that in that, in the games and blitzes that the Patriots like to run with their backers. He certainly fits the mold as somebody that can do a lot of those different things. So I think that they have a nice kind of mix of on ball, off ball linebackers and Collins played a little bit more on the line of scrimmage last year for Cleveland and it didn't go so well for him played about 35% of his snaps on the line of scrimmage and a lot at strong side backer on the same side as the tight end and against the guy that really just wants to run and chase he wants to be free and run sideline to sideline and use that athleticism 
to have him go head on against double teams on the edge like a Dante Hightower isn't exactly the best usage of his skill set. So maybe they move him back off the ball. They put him in a more specialized role. You know, obviously I'm sure we were going to touch on this, but it's the Patrick Chung 2.0 theory. That's what I was going to get to. Yeah. Like if you can put him in a role that he's going to thrive in and kind of simplify things for him to where he's only in that role, then maybe it can work out here the second time around. And it certainly didn't work, wasn't poorly, you know, didn't turn out poorly the first time around. They just didn't want to pay him the money that he was going to end up making and, and kind of decided that trading him was better than losing him for a comp pick. Well, and remember, Belichick is on record as saying he didn't use Patrick Chung and coach him up uh, the way he right. felt he should have the first time. I think time. that's the, the biggest difference between right. this and that, is that the first time around there was nothing wrong with the coaching or Jamie Collins' role on the team. Jamie Collins was playing the position that he should have played when he got drafted. I mean, he was playing off the ball, and he was you know basically their weak side linebacker most of the time. That's exactly what he should be playing. So it wasn't that, you know, with Patrick Chung, Belichick mentioned this multiple times with Chung. They're playing him at, like, deep safety, you know, 15, 20 yards off the line of scrimmage, and they're asking him to do things that just weren't his skill set. Then they realized the league was kind of moving towards these hybrid linebacker safety types that are going to come down into the box and cover tight ends and basically play in the slot as a slot defender as the strong side linebacker, actually, a lot of the time. But mainly as, like, a third linebacker, if you're in a 3-4, a fourth linebacker is actually going to be a, a safety now. That's kind of the new league with the teams passing so often so that was kind of they saw that kind of trend coming or maybe even started a little bit and they reacquired Patrick Chung and quickly put him into that role and now Patrick Chung I mean we're talking about simplifying things for Jamie Collins Patrick Chung has one of the more complicated roles in the entire defense for the Patriots I mean he's playing slot defender he's playing linebacker he's playing safety He's playing essentially corner a lot of the time when he's covering some of these slot receivers and tight ends and running backs out wide and, and outside the perimeter on the perimeter. So he has a very complicated role. So it's Collins. It's more about, um, you know, shrinking the scope. And whereas with Chung, it actually ended up evolving. into I mean, now he's a team captain. I mean, it it doesn't get much better of a story than what Patrick Chung did the second time around here. I think comparing Collins to that is a little bit lofty. I do as well. Uh, speaking with Evan Lazar, covering the Patriots and the NFL for CLNSmedia.com. Follow him on Twitter, at E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. Uh, why did the Patriots bring back Danny Shelton? Well, I think that, you know, it's pretty simple that other than Mike Pennell, who I really like and I think was an underrated player in New York and a guy that is going to shine here in New England, maybe like similar to like a Allen Branch type player here, maybe not personality-wise certainly, but in terms of his playing style, they really didn't have anybody backing him up that had the same kind of skill set of that big body run-stuffing defensive tackle. Last year they had Malcolm Brown and Danny Shelton. Now they have Mike Pennell and Danny Shelton. It's essentially the same kind of one-two combination. So I actually really like this move. I think Shelton towards the end of last season when he did get back on the field, obviously had those four healthy scratches that kind of stand out as maybe the team not valuing him as much. But I actually think that when that happened, a lot of it was 
game plan specific. Now, obviously, if a guy transcends the game plan and you you want him to be on the field no matter what kind of the situation is, then that's you know a better player than a guy that's so situational like Shelton. But he is a one-down player, essentially, in the NFL. And if you're going to play a team that's going to run the ball 65 70% of the time in the game, and you think maybe you're going to play with a lead on top of that and they're going to be throwing the ball a whole lot, then a one-down run stuffer really doesn't do you much on game day. So that, I think, is where a lot of the inactives started to pile up and then when he got onto the field late in the season week 17 against the Jets and then in the divisional round against the Chargers and and certainly in the Super Bowl against the Rams he felt more comfortable in the system I think and he started playing a whole lot better and and the tape really reflects that and he had a really nice game I thought and in only 15 snaps in the Super Bowl but he kind of made his presence felt when he was out there had that nice tackle for loss that people might remember and, and a couple of other plays where they were really trying to get up the field with those defensive tackles and he was a big part of that and a big part of shutting down that Rams running game so I think that his familiarity with the scheme kind of developed as the season went along and he kind of thrived a little bit in that role and maybe some of those inactives too I mean we talked about him talked to him about it kind of lit a fire under him a little bit that they were giving him healthy scratches and it kind of made him appreciate being out on the field you know on game day a little bit more and he came out with a little bit more fire too so I like the move for depth they needed another kind of big body run stuffer there in the middle speaking of which Gerald McCoy is now on the market the Buccaneers on Monday uh released him and the Patriots along with the Browns, uh, the Chargers, the Jaguars, and the Cowboys, according to Adam Schefter, among those in play for the 10-year veteran. It would seem like he'd make sense. And I know you tweeted uh, on Monday that this is, uh, you know, a move that would uh, have Patriots written all over it. But does signing Danny Shelton preclude um, bringing Gerald McCoy on board also? No, I hope not because, you know, McCoy is certainly a much better player than Danny Shelton is. But I think that, you know, the Patriots are up against it cap wise. They're up against around three to three and a half million dollars in cap space right now. Now, the obvious move that everybody's going to talk about to free up the money for McCoy is going to be extending Tom Brady, which you got to think is coming between now and I would say September 1st when that week one salary of his kicks in and he's due, I think almost $14 million or something like that. So I think that that is coming, but I also think that, you know, just kind of looking at the numbers of a Tom Brady extension, what it might look like, I don't think it's going to create as much cap space as some people think. And the way to do it, would ha- to create a ton of cap space, like let's say to create like $10 million in cap space is to structure the contract with avoided years at the end of the deal, which isn't typically the Patriots bread and butter. They would have to, you know, kind of extend him beyond what maybe they even think, or he even thinks he's going to play and then just, kind of void those years at the end and and almost release Tom Brady to get rid of some of the cap at the end of his contract, let's say in like 2023 or 2022. That seems like kind of a slippery slope and something the Patriots don't normally do. So I think that you're looking with the Tom Brady extension around four or five million dollars in cap relief, which would bring them to around, I don't know, eight or nine million bucks against the cap. And then maybe you could fit Gerald McCoy in there once that all those dominoes happen. So I think basically what I'm getting at is that unless Gerald McCoy is solely ring chasing and he wants to sign like a one year deal here for little money, you know, something like a five or six million dollar contract where they can work the structure 
then get him under the cap. There's a lot of kind of dominoes that would have to fall in line quickly in succession before somebody else jumps in that to get McCoy to New England. And then they would also have to, McCoy would have to take less money than he's probably worth on the open market too. So it seems like there's a lot of hurdles to get over to make this one happen. I would agree with that, and I think it was Phil Perry I was speaking with um, about a month ago or, or so, and he had mentioned that um, on the Tom Brady renegotiation, it would have to happen probably in August. Yeah. It, because, or, or maybe it was you. I, I can't remember, but I thought I was talking to Phil Perry about this, and uh, that's because you can only renegotiate a contract once a year and it had already been, uh, restructured once within the, within the NFL calendar year. So they'd have to wait until August. Does that, uh, sound about right? So yeah, so there's that rule about the, they can only restructure a deal within a year. And there's been some conflicting reports, I would say, on whether or not that's entirely true in Tom Brady's case or not. I know Albert Breer has said that his league sources are saying that the Patriots could do the extension at any time, but there's also that real rule in the CBA. I know that Miguel Benzon, Pat's, aka Pat's Cap, who's my go-to guy for all this type of stuff, is agreeing more with Breer, saying that they probably could do it now if they wanted to do it. But I think the bottom line is, with Brady is that the deal is going to get done. Tom Brady is going to retire a Patriot. I don't think anybody has anything to worry about. But at the end of the day, I think that there's this kind of notion or this belief out there that a Tom Brady contract extension is going to free up the books for them to go out and do whatever they want cap wise. And it's going to give them like, you know, another $10 million in cap space or something like that. And I just don't see that happening unless Brady takes such a huge team friendly discount, like even more so than what he's done in the past. And I don't know if he's necessarily going to do that. So uh, I think that like what I said, it's much more realistic to think four or 5 million bucks of Brady would probably be, you know, more realistic in terms of what you will save against the cap for his extension. And that kind of gives him like a three year extension at about $65, 70 million dollars makes him, you know, not the highest paid quarterback in the league, but certainly pays him a, a healthy amount of money to keep playing through 45. And that really that deal would end at 45 versus if you want to kind of knock that cap number down more, you're going to almost have to assign him through 45 and almost to 46 or 47 to kind of put some of that money down the road and, and almost backload the deal so that you are have smaller cap hits at the front. So it's all kind of like cap, you know, uh, jargon and, and, you know, whatever you want to get into the details, but it, it's not going to create as much cap space as some people think. And unless Gerald McCoy, that can all happen in succession really quickly. And Gerald McCoy says no to more money elsewhere. I just don't know if it's going to happen. He would really need to want to come here to win a Super Bowl, And that would really be exclusively the reason it wouldn't be a ton of compensation. Aside from avoiding what happened with the Redskins on Monday and linebacker Reuben Foster suffering a knee injury and getting carted off in an air cast on his, on his uh, leg. Yeah. What are you looking for in OTAs? Well, I think that, you know, I'm actually going to write on this for Wednesday. So there's a little sneak preview. I think the biggest thing is what's happening at left tackle. Uh, Skarnecchia said that last week when uh, he met with the media, I think it was uh, May 10th or something like that, that he 
is not healthy enough yet to participate in these OTA practices. So I assume he's not going to be out there or at least not, you know, at a full capacity. So who's gets that spot when they do kind of go to the starting offensive line and maybe a seven on, or not, you know, 11 on 11 drill, I should say. And who is it? Is it Jared Veldier? Is it Yadni Kajus? If Yadni Kajus is healthy, I know he's been dealing with some injuries and offseason surgery as well. Uh, is it somebody that we aren't seeing right now, like a Cole Croston or, or Cedric Lang or whoever the case may be? Who's that guy that's kind of filling in for Isaiah Wynn? Because I think that that tells you a whole lot about their depth at that position and how they view that depth. Who's the backup left tackle? Then, you know, I think the other one uh, that's big for me is first look at Nikhil Harry. I mean, obviously – you're not going to really get a whole lot of, you know, what kind of role he's going to play. And week to week, it's going to change, obviously, from a game plan's perspective anyways. So you're not really going to necessarily get a lot of that. But what's he look like out there? Does he look like he belongs or is even better than some of the competition that he's facing? How has he kind of refined some of his skills as a route runner that I'm sure he's been working on in the offseason, his release package, some of the stuff at the top of the route? the little details that we talked about when we talked about him kind of refining those and sharpening those to become a little bit better of a downfield separator. I think a lot of these practices you can know pretty early on with a lot of these rookies, if this guy's going to be great, you know, like you can kind of tell like the way that they're moving and how fast they're moving and the way that they're kind of going about their business. Is this guy going to be a stud? Is this guy going to be a bust? I think you can kind of tell some of those things with some of these practices, but you know, you don't want to overreact to any of it, but I think that you can kind of tell a little bit. And the last thing, Jared Stidham, I think that um, I'm pretty fascinated to watch this guy throw the ball. Uh, everything that you hear is just how great of a thrower, natural thrower of the football that he is. So we'll see what happens with that I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that quarterback battle shakes out because a lot of people I think that Brian Hoyer is going to be on the roster but there are a lot of you know smart people out there that think that Jared Stidham has a chance to push him off the roster as a rookie if he can come out and really you know show that he can handle that responsibility already and and maybe he can so I think that he's somebody to really monitor here going forward as well. I actually think the Patriots want him to beat out Brian Hoyer. Not that they have anything against Brian Hoyer, but professionally, for the better of betterment of the roster, uh, and for issues that you mentioned about 20 minutes ago, yeah. I think it would do them a world of good to have Stidham beat out Brian Hoyer so that they're not carrying, you know, the three quarterbacks, and I'm not including Danny Etling. I mean, whether or not he stays or not is, I think, beyond the point. I mean, I think, Etling is could be could uh, make the practice squad as well because I don't think he get picked up. Do you? No, and I I think that you know really there's precedent for it. I mean the Patriots went with Ryan Mallett his rookie year as the backup quarterback. They went obviously with Jimmy Garoppolo as the backup quarterback in Jimmy's rookie year. So if you can kind of come out and really impress the coaches and really wow people, really what you look for with guys you know like rookies with Stidham is can he stay afloat? Right? Like is it not too big for him? Is it is the whole situation is is throwing in a pocket that's going to be a little bit muddy and and with pressure in his face, not too big for him. Is the game not moving too fast? I think that those are things that you can look at. If he looks like he belongs in the off season and in, in you know the OTA program, the mini camps, the training camp, and, and the preseason games, I definitely think that he could push Brian Hoyer and maybe even push Brian Hoyer off the roster. The reason why I am kind of you know 
saying that I think that Hoyer is going to be on the roster is just because of the experience that he has as a backup quarterback and how much he works with Tom Brady very closely uh, as sort of in during the week to kind of help Brady with some of the game plan aspects of the week and all that kind of stuff. It would be a big a little bit of a change. I don't want to call it a big change, but a little bit of a change for Brady in that respect. And I think him and Hoyer have become really tight and really close friends. And if they can fit it, you know, we'll see what happens. But remember also, Tragus, don't sleep on two punters on this roster. Yep, I, I know. We I, went over this with Jake really, Bailey last week. This is going to be like my take because I, I really think that it could be a possibility. Uh, Jake Bailey kind of comes on and, and kind of learns the ropes from from uh, Ryan Allen and also maybe as, as a kickoff specialist as well, uh, you know, taking the kickoff duties away from Goskowski to free up his leg a little bit. I think that it's a possibility that they carry two punters, which would be bananas but at the same time if you cut ryan allen or ryan allen doesn't have any practice squad eligibility and if you cut jake bailey he's not making it back to the practice squad somebody's going to sign him and and make him their starting punter or their everyday punter so you're risking losing him if you cut him you know i think it's almost a certainty that another team is going to come up and and get him if uh if they cut him so i i wouldn't sleep on that either well, uh, certainly you should be following Evan Lazar uh, as OTAs, Patriots OTAs, begin this week. He'll have you covered at clnsmedia.com. Obviously, as always, follow him on Twitter at E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. Follow uh, CLNS Media on Twitter, uh, the Patriots coverage, at Patriots CLNS. Uh, Evan, thanks for joining me, as always, and uh, have fun this week. Thanks. Uh, can I give a parting shot before we sign off? Please do. So I think that it's interesting just thinking about this McCoy thing and just talking to you about it, that the Bucks couldn't find a trade partner for Gerald McCoy. And it sounds to me also like the Minnesota Vikings are struggling to find a trade partner with Kyle Rudolph. And that kind of signals to me that it's really – a, not a seller's market right now on the trade market. And a lot of these teams are kind of wary of picking up hefty veteran salaries like those two guys carry in trades right now, which suggests to me that it's a possibility that Kyle Rudolph might be released by the Vikings. So I think you have to weigh that possibility too, in terms of maybe you have one more spot of like kind of a, a substantial salary like that, like a guy like McCoy or like Kyle Rudolph. So you kind of have to weigh the options of which guy you would rather have on the team. And I often, you know, I kind of wonder if maybe they lean more towards Rudolph seeing that the tight end position is certainly a little bit more up in the air than interior defensive line. I think they can, get away with the guys that they have on the interior defensive line if need be. So that's something to look for. I think that a lot of these teams are kind of hesitant about acquiring these uh, aging veteran guys with hefty salaries. want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast and thank our great guest and colleague Evan Lazar covering the Patriots for CLNS. For producer Michael Longi and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, this is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast powered by CLNS Media. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. 
Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcast, or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.